Lori Houston's News for the Heart is dedicated to helping you give a voice to your own soul. Our hearts have the power to free us from pain and the struggles that keep us from awakening to our true essence. Join Lori now as we delve into our heart and soul to find the path that will open us to the possibilities and lead us to the life we love to live. And good afternoon. This is News for the Heart. And today, I'm very happy to have Christopher Papadopoulos back with us. Now, if you've been following News for the Heart, you know we've done a couple shows together. His new book called Peace and Where to Find It. And so we did an interview on the concepts of peace. And then we did an interview on the practices. And today, we thought we would look at our stories and how they affect us and how we can maybe move through so that we can get out of a place of... I guess being stuck. I mean, I think what happens is a lot of times we make these, you know, we make these improvements, we make a decision and a choice to move forward and we get to a certain place. And then I think what happens is our our stories get back into our heads and it's a known place. So it's like we fall back into the same patterns. So welcome, Christopher. Hello, Laurie. It's good to hear your voice again. And hello, everyone listening. So. I thought that this would be a great topic, so let's let's play with this a little. Sure. Let me just first recap a little about the book, Peace and Where to Find It. Absolutely. Um, that quite simply, the book is about the extraordinary fact that peace is already here within us and around us, waiting to be noticed and embodied. The room you are in currently, for example, is saturated with peace as is your body. And the book goes on to express that by inhabiting our bodies fully with our non-judgmental attention, we quiet the mind that incessantly chatters and reacts. And this is the mind that blocks our awareness of the peace that we are. That it's not just something that's within us and we can just look at it from a distance or apart from us or look at it around in the room or sense it in the room around us. We are this peace. Right. And I think as much as we can understand that from a mental perspective, (laughs) which I think we are very good at doing, a lot of times we don't really necessarily get it from the heart level or the gut level or the body. Absolutely. And that's uh, what the book sort of takes us through and emphasizes the importance of body awareness to help us experience this for ourselves and it reassures us the more that we do it and actually as we're going to talk about today it helps place a greater perspective on the stories of me our stories that run in our lives the roles we play gives us takes the pressure off puts a little distance between ourselves and our stories and gives us more flexibility to to explore the different roles that we play in our life without being so attached and so caught up in these stories that they create such upset and suffering in our lives. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about these stories. I mean, there are these mental things that we've given a lot of energy to and a lot of thought to 
and they're usually from our experiences. Um, they're something that usually has happened to us that we've taken personally. I mean, it could be a number of different things, but it, it usually, what they say is usually our patterns have been created before the age of seven and by the age of seven. So everything that happened to us, we sort of keep hmm, kind of stuck in our energy and we kind of replay it because before the age of seven, we weren't emotionally mature. Um, we weren't even mentally mature, but we certainly weren't emotionally mature. So we didn't have an emotional connection or a no, an emotional way to express our stories. So we kind of, we express it instead within our bodies, which is part of what your book was so brilliant at assisting us with is that it's usually a stuck energy that's an emotion because that's all we really knew it was at the age of seven. It was a feeling. It wasn't, we didn't know how to identify it um, properly. And even if we did, we, um, it was more, it, we just weren't mature enough to really understand it and deal with it. And so it has remained stuck and it's been identified now as a certain energy and a certain emotion. And we get caught up in it. We get, you know, it's, it's almost like because it's the known, we, we sort of choose to hold on to it. Yes, absolutely. It is so very familiar in fact we identify with these stories essentially we feel we are our stories of whoever we are our memories um, the pivotal events of our lives our hopes and dreams our opinions of things what we do for a living all of these things who our family is where we live all of these things we can call you know part of the external world the world of form around us the everyday world and these are the things we use to make up this story of me. And we cling to it because we essentially have no deeper awareness that we can be anything other than a particular role or a particular story or thought in our head. Because we identify with this voice in the head um, that, that, that convinces us that we are this voice that's always speaking, saying, this is my name, I'm Chris, I have this life, I'm Lori, this is what I do, this is what I think. And we don't sense there's a deeper peace-filled awareness, intelligent awareness behind that voice that we could identify with or could ultimately recognize we are that spacious awareness behind the voice that convinces us that we are, that all of its commentary on the things in our lives is who we are. Right. So... How do we, how do we, how do we get more in touch with this? How do we stop identifying with it? How do we, you know, how do we get to the place where we want to um, get out of our heads, into our hearts, into our bodies, and not let that unconscious thinking continue? Yes. And that is the one of the keys to the end of all kinds of suffering and all kinds of misperceptions uh, of reality that we are small and separate and um, 
unfulfilled and never and never always seeking more and always feeling that nothing's enough, nothing's ever good, nothing's ever satisfying or sufficient. Um, and that's why we go into the body because the body acts as a kind of off switch. When we deeply feel our body, in a sense, we're returning to this pre-seven-year-old, you know, nonverbal stage of awareness, um, getting deeply in touch with our emotions again to finally observe them, accept them, and release them. And uh, what we do is not just focus on the story, because as you said, when we're young enough, there really is no story or label we can give the feelings that we have. Now we're older, we can call them betrayal or abuse or violation or hurt or rage or sadness and, or abandonment. And we didn't have that vocabulary when we were, we were kids. We just had the emotion. But now we, if we look deep enough into our emotions, we then we come up with a label for it. Well, that's step one. If you go more deeply into the emotion, you will feel once again what you felt when you were a kid. It's just this basic energy in motion, this physical sensation of pressure in the body that we give it our pure non-judgmental attention. It creates space around this emotion and it begins to gradually release and heal um, that emotion. It dissipates and along with it, the story or the hurt from our, uh, it goes back who knows how far also begins to heal and by going into our bodies and switching off the mind is what deeply going into our bodies does that when it quiets the mind it naturally automatically quiets the story the ongoing personal narrative that is running in the background of everything that we do yeah it sounds easier than it is <laughs> it, it is the simplest thing in the world but it is not easy at all that is the, essentially that is what all self-awareness or spiritual paths uh, really are in their essence or um it's the simple thing to say that we are peace it's a very simple thing to um say just go into your body um but and it is it's, it's a simple idea to, to do it but the thing is, we don't do it. And the reason we don't do it is because the mind which we identify with, the voice in the head that, we, that says, this is me, this is my life, this is my view of things, this is who I am, this voice in the head, my thoughts and my emotional reactions, we identify with this voice. And because we have made an identity out of the voice, it has become compulsive. We can't stop it. And it doesn't want to stop. And so it will, you know, there are points on our spiritual path where, like you said, one step forward, one step back. We take a step forward and, you know, in the new year we go exercise at the gym to change ourselves. And then we, that eventually falls away. We take on a diet and we hold on to that for a while and that falls away. We take on a new belief, a new philosophy or a new spiritual practice. And then we take another step back or, or there's, a, there's a setback. And this one step forward, one step back will always be there as long as the mind is always fully, fully in control and incessantly thinking. And our job is to just, you know, push through that, push through it by constantly during the day, going back to body awareness, going back to the pure sensations of the body that quiets the mind. And right there, that places a space in your in, in the incessant stream of thinking. And we learn to eventually rest in that space and get confidence of staying in that space and no longer identifying with that personal narrative, with that story. And so the book is a you know, simple, reassuring confidence builder in getting you to constantly go back to your body and just feel what's happening during the day. We have to start everywhere and anywhere and not just wait for the 
the yoga mat or the meditation cushion or the spiritual retreat or you know the interesting uh, DVD or or or, or MP3 uh, you know talk. We do it when we're holding a cup of coffee. We feel the temperature. We feel the texture. We breathe. We do it when we're walking. We feel the impact on our thighs. We do it when we're outside and we just smell the air. We give that all of our attention. Normally what we do is we're multitasking in our heads and we're doing something and only peripherally and partially experiencing reality. And so bit by dip, bit by bit during the day, we build up our body awareness, which builds up our present moment awareness. This quiets the mind, it quiets the roles that we play, the story of me in our head, and we learn to rest in that peaceful awareness, that space around that story, and that begins to dislodge our attachment to our stories, and then with something we can just pick up and, 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 and put down anytime we want. Oh, I'm entering this role now, but I'm consciously choosing to enter this role. I'm no longer so fully immersed in it that I'm reacting to everything around me because I think I'm the role. No, I'm like I'm an actor on the stage now, once again. I know I'm not the role. I'm the peaceful awareness behind my roles and stories, but I can consciously choose to play a role with my mother or with my lover or my friends, and then I drop that hat and return to the peaceful awareness of the present moment. We do this all day, switching on, off, on, off, this personal story in the head, this incessant voice that keeps talking. Okay, that's a that's a great and valid offering. The question is, when people are so attached to what's happening and have taken it personal and it's happening to them, okay, and there's no way, like, how do you, how do you step in as as a counselor, as a spiritual advisor, how do you step in and say, this is not you. This, this thing that's happening is not, I mean, it's like it's the end of the world for some people. In fact, I've heard people say it, and I've been in the same place where, you know, something really terrible happens, and they would rather end their life because they can't, they can't find a way to go on. And then there's the part where somebody feels incredibly betrayed and they just can't let go of that energy without either. And it's not even so much that people want to be vindictive and, you know, get back at the person, but it's just that they can't seem to step out of the head, step out of this person that they've identified with to even want to let go, to even want to forgive, to even want to get to that place where you can say, I am not this person. I am something so much more magnificent. How do you get that person to stop and breathe and get back into their body and realize that everything that's happening is not, I don't want to say real because to them it is real, but it's not the truth. Yes, this is, I think, I think whatever 
whatever person that another person is going to, the very fact that they are reaching out to a, um, a spiritual guide, a teacher, a therapist, a healer, is a good sign that they're aware that there's something there. They're not so completely lost that they're not even aware that there's, they have to reach out and try to change this, that there's something that has to be done about this because the, the real lost causes course of the people that aren't even aware they're so stuck in what they're experiencing the suffering is so great they can't even begin to think about reaching out and trying to um, make things better the very fact that they're reaching out is a good sign and of course we always start with where they are where whatever the person is suffering whatever they're feeling you start with with, with what's going on and every you know, situation is different. It is said, and, and this is my experience as well, that um, the, 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 the guide and the client produce the healing together, or the teacher and the student produce the teaching together. Every, every situation will be different. Uh, speaking for myself, um, I would definitely, you know, have them you know, start with where they are expressing how they're feeling. And when they're expressing how they're feeling, periodically, not just have them go into their bodies and, and label that as well, right where you said you feel abandonment or a betrayal. Um, the person might be feeling a such rage uh, about something. Well, where is it in the body? Can you get them to point out in a particular part of their body where you're feeling that rage? Can you get them to breathe and create a little space, give it their attention, and have them notice is it moving? Is it dull? Is it throbbing? Is it tingling? Is it hot? Is it cold? To more basic descriptions of the physical sensation that emotions ultimately um, are, as in terms of energy, that we sensations of energy in the body, as opposed to these stories and powerful emotional labels that we put around them, mm -hmm. and we do this periodically. And then, of course, you know, you don't push it at the beginning. You don't say, "No, that's just an energy under pressure." You go back to the story. You, this is where they are. You let them rest in their story and talk more about it and express it again. And then you move back to the body. That You can do this again and again until they begin to feel some peace and space um, and, uh, and less pressure in the body. It may not dissipate completely, but they, over time with confidence, will begin to see that there is a dissipation. So they have much more power and control over their own suffering than they think they do. And you start in increments. And of course, you can also do um, a verbal self-inquiry, and um, uh, a classic one is, is getting them, getting them is asking, well, what do you want? Well, I want to stop suffering. Why? And, and well, I want to stop suffering because, you know, I can't take anymore. Um, and so, and you know, so why? And you just follow with why, why, and eventually you'll get to narrow everything down to the essence of what they really want as opposed to often what they think they want or, or think they believe is not quite uh, what they themselves thought. You can actually distill to the essence of what someone wants. Well, I want to just stop suffering. I want to feel good. I want to just feel like me again. And you, even that can help dissipate some of the energy. And then you redirect them to the fact that if you want to feel like you again or not suffer or feel good again, you return to this place and here and now where the essence of goodness is. There are the different verbal things that you can uh, do as well, and that's what I would do. Um, another thing that I would do is 
when it progresses, when you have been with them where they are and you slowly try to help them move out of um, their suffering while honoring the fact that what they experience to them is very real, is starting to talk about, well, you know, about, you know, who they think they are and what they believe and is what they believe about, well, the world should be like this, this shouldn't be happening, people shouldn't do this to me and that shouldn't be happening. You begin to talk about these uh, things and you begin to break those down as well. Um, uh, Byron Katie does a wonderful thing with something called the work where you know you say this shouldn't be happening and so well is that true and you keep working it down and breaking it down and you realize that um, it's really your thoughts about what should or shouldn't be in the world that is making you experience a lot more suffering than you should as opposed to what actually happened. And there's also a variety of techniques to help you uh, distinguish between your interpretation of what happened and the actual experience of what happened. And uh, that makes a difference. That won't solve everything, but it makes a difference. You're beginning to put a wedge between the, the suffering that you have completely identified with and the real you, the free you, the one that's free of the suffering, the one that feels like just me and normal and alive again begin to put a wedge because it, we are so attached to our stories. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter if it's a story of betrayal or rejection or abandonment. It doesn't matter whatever the story of suffering is. We all have them and some people have some horrendous stories. It is the degree of our attachment to that story that creates the suffering. Right. Yeah, I, I get it. Like I do, I, I totally understand. I'm just, I'm thinking of a few people that, um, I work with and you know when we talk in person or when we talk on Skype and they can get very calm and they can see you know what's going on and they can understand better but as soon as something else happens and they get anxious and you know they go back into their 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 drama it's like oh man <laughs> And I know that there's a part of it there for me because there's something that I, um, I know that there's some things that I need to be more conscious of that, especially around my health, that I, you know, I kind of, I kind of know when, and when I'm not doing what, without contradicting what you said about what I should be doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I, there are things that I know that I need to be more conscious of while I'm doing them. And then there are times when I'll be in the middle of it and be conscious and still not change it, even though I know it's better for me. Um, But when I think of certain people that I work with, you know, when we're together, because I have a more calming energy, they get very calm and they can get into that place and they can see from the higher perspective and they can see that, you know, but then they get caught up again. And it's, it's challenging because we really identify with that and are attached to that experience. It's, it's almost like we need it to, I don't know, to survive. It's like we need that drama or that energy or that something that, you know, 
pushes us to hold on to it so tight, yet you move into a, a state of despair when you're there. So it's it's an interesting energy. Like it's an interesting thing that happens to people. And if we could just be more conscious of it and just like, I like, you know, going into your body. I mean, I think that there are a lot of people that aren't aware enough of their body as to where it is um, within their body. But I think, you know, that breathing, I know that one of the exercises is, you know, to go outside of your knees or your elbows. And that kind of you know, takes your energy, like it, that, it just refocuses you into a completely different place. Um, and that, that can work, but it's just, I don't, I don't know how to help people when they're just so heavily attached to the drama. Cause I've never been that person. Like I've never, I'm not a jealous person. I don't like, I don't freak out over some of the things that other people do. <laughs> And so there's some things I don't really get. And I, I've never been a drama person. I've never, you know, in any of my relationships, I've never fought, you know, passionately. There's that's, that's not been part of who I am. Like I, I'm not a fighter. So I mean, I probably keep, I probably keep it locked in more than, um, or just as much as anybody else, but I'm, I'm not one of those people that like to yell and, oh, except if it's my mother. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was, that was learned as a survival, uh, survival mechanism, but with nobody else. <laughs> it's, the, it's the classic Ram Dass saying, a, a well-known spiritual teacher named Ram Dass says, if you think you're so awakened, go live with your parents for two weeks. <sighs> So it was Ramdas that said it, not Eckhart Tolle, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think Eckhart Tolle quoted Ramdas. He did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, it's true. I mean, that is definitely the uh, the one way that we can uh, know how how evolved we are, because that's the one. That's where we learned those seven years. Like that's where we got that basis for everything. And and when we were so, because we've never been so dependent as we are when we're when we were children yes. and um, that definitely led the deepest of the wounds or the deepest of our attachments because we had to be dependent we it wasn't an option even though we thought we were old enough to do certain things <laughs> we were told we weren't um but yeah, I mean, parents definitely are one area that uh, can have an impact or family in general. But yeah, so okay, so I like the idea of getting them to refocus and go into their bodies. I guess it's, it's that place when they're at their critical space where they're just, they're either... They either get to a place where they're ready to just give up or they're just so anxious. Like there's, you can feel the energy around them. It's such a level of anxiety that I get stuck on what to, you know, say to them. Sometimes I get angry. (laughs) (laughs) 
and it it usually kind of makes them go quiet for a bit but it's like why do you keep going back to the exact same place like where else could they go i guess that's it this is this is why the teaching is so simple and can seem so redundant or unimportant to the thinking mind that is currently listening to our conversation of the importance of going into the body it seems like such an insignificant thing what what does it have to do with my problems my problems happened on that day with that person in that situation it was the worst thing that ever happened to me da, 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 da. what does feeling my hand have to do with anything and it has everything to do with it because this is how we detach from our stories we begin to realize we are not this story and if we're not the story we will not have the drama around it and we will not be attached to the drama around it because we will find a new anchor for our life we will our anchor will be that we are life itself we are peace filled life itself a spacious formless awareness very intelligent that created the body that created the universe you can get it by going into your body have a direct felt sensation and awareness of this and it is such a relief when i had a shift in consciousness in 2003 that was the one of the big things for me that no one told me, oh, Chris, you're going to awaken and you're going to feel love and peace and joy. And yeah, I do feel those things, you know, so very often and not so much as you know, anything outside of me are, are pushing that or creating it. It's there's things that just you know, come from out of the unmanifest. They're uncaused and they just appear. They appear as what we are in essence. What no one told me is how much relief I would feel, how much relief I would feel from no longer having to carry around this burdening, burdensome story of me, always having to defend it, going to parties, oh, I'm so nervous, and oh, because I know someone's going to ask me, so what do you do for a living? And you have to throw out some resume-like you know, phrase <laughs> you know, as a shield of protection to deflect so they don't you know, use their eyes like laser beams and probe your soul to see that you're unworthy and a phony or this or that. We play this game every day. Even the most confident of us look in the mirror now and then and feel like I'm such a phony. And all of the, so we place so much emphasis on on on, on protecting this uh, story of me because when we're when we're identified with a voice in the head, what else do we have? It can't help but but be compulsive and obsessive by definition. By identifying with this voice in the head, our thinking and reacting are compulsive. So when you're telling you know your clients you know snap out of it. What, don't focus on the, the information they're giving you, the details of their situation. Just step back in, into yourself and your own presence and observe. They're just repeating. It's like pulling the doll, the cord on the doll, and they're repeating the same words again and again because that is what the egoic condition, the identifying with this voice in the head, does. It, it makes the voice compulsive, and we can't help ourselves. It's, like it's like we're all suffering from OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and those that are clinically diagnosed as such, well, they have a very extreme case, pretty much the whole planet is suffering from an obsessive compulsive disorder and they can't even help themselves. Okay, let's create an example of a meditation or something that you would do for people that are in this so that they can like have a protocol or have you know, your words to assist them when they're going through something to allow them to get out of that story. Because as you say, it's so true. It doesn't really matter what the story is. It doesn't matter what they're doing. But if they have this great 
meditation or have this great protocol to assist them, then maybe they can help themselves just to become a little bit more aware and to get themselves out of that, that incredible angst or that, you know, that, as you call it, that emotion that is, you know, um, emotion, <laughs> that energy in motion that, you know, is really, is really pushing them to hold on. How does that sound? Sure. Yes, that's um, something we can do. Um, the first thing I would think of doing is if someone is really that, you know, emotional and dramatic and completely caught up in their story, um, one of the easiest ways to get someone in their body is getting them to feel it again. I know one a successful technique that is, is, is really popular in a lot of psychotherapy um, practices now they're called EFT and a kind of training where they will even be like the person will be recalling or re recalling their story visualizing it and the therapist will be knee to knee and actually tapping their thighs and at first they didn't know why that was why that was working but one of the reasons it's working of course is the person is able to physically feel their bodies and stay in their body at when they're recounting their traumatic event their traumatic story and they begin to sense a separation between the trauma and the present moment in their bodies. And so if I am working with someone, it would be um, uh, even going for a walk with them out in nature. Nature is naturally very present and tends to quiet our minds more easily and more readily. Uh, walking helps us. Our breathing increases and gets us in our body more easily. Uh, there's a technique in the book that I would use if, um, when someone really is so full of intensity is you actually up the intensity, but you up the intensity in terms of physical tension as opposed to up the intensity of the emotion. So for example, there is a, a technique in the book where um, you inhale deeply for a count of three or four, and then you clench all of your muscles, including your face, without you know, trying to you know, pop a, a vein in, in your head or your eye or anything like that, but you clench all your muscles and you hold that for like a count of four. And then you let it out and you inhale again. And now clench all the muscles in your body, including your face. Two, three, four, and exhale and release all the tension. We do that a few more times. Inhaling, and now we tense the muscles, holding our breath in. Squeeze, squeeze, three, four, and exhaling and relaxing the muscles in the body. And we get everyone listening, and we get the person who's suffering with trauma just to focus on the movement of their torso at this moment. Notice that your body is going up and down with every breath. The stomach is rising and falling with every breath.
throughout the trauma this was happening, but it went completely unnoticed. Because when we are completely lost in our suffering and in our minds, the awareness of our body is partial and peripheral at best. And we go into our bodies with our attention and scan and notice there's much, much less tension in the body right now. By inducing physical fatigue of the muscles, we've actually relaxed a lot of the muscles that were tense. And they were tense because that physical tension builds up when we resist the present moment by being lost in our thoughts, lost in our emotional suffering and reactions. And with less muscle tension, that means less fuel for our story of trauma and suffering to continue. It naturally begins to calm down just a little bit more. We check our jaw and our shoulders and solar plexus for unnecessary tension and we relax them with a deep breath. If the trauma is particularly deep, our body may be buzzing with energy. Well, how about just resting your attention on the buzz of energy in your body right now? Whatever the reason it was there from something good or bad, can you just physically feel the buzz of energy in your body without giving it a label, without having an opinion about this practice? It's just there. Just rest in that. It's not going to hurt you. It's just there. It's always there. Sometimes more easily felt than other times. And can you feel that buzz of energy, that aliveness in your feet? back of your legs. It's there if you can turn your attention there quietly without any opinions about what you're doing. You feel the, your back and the back of your head, the entire back of your body. helps us relax into life because when we're feeling a lot of suffering or suffering or intensity we're psychologically and physically energetically leaning forward and we can feel the front of our body more than the back of our body and if you're feeling intensity in your body still maybe it's in the torso area as it often is can you place your attention on any of the trauma right now? Where is it located in the body? Our trauma feels like it's out there. The whole world is colored with our suffering. 
but there is guaranteed a place in the body that is reacting to this suffering. Where is the core of your trauma in your body? The betrayal, the abandonment, the rage, the sadness, the disappointment, where is it? Get out of your head and into your body and locate the area that feels most of this discomfort, this unhappiness with your life. Can you be fascinated by it as opposed to overwhelmed by this feeling? Is it moving? Is it warm or cold? Is it throbbing or stuck? Observe this fascinating phenomenon we call energy under pressure. Because that's what your emotion is. Energy under pressure. That's all. And if it becomes too intense, we can return our attention to the feeling of aliveness in our feet, in our elbows, in the back of the body, behind our knees, anywhere that is away from the core of the trauma. And we take a deep breath that expands our abdomen below the navel because a good full breath will expand the abdomen below the navel and maybe we can notice that when we inhale the air is cooler in our nose throat and chest than on our exhale and how soothing and reassuring it is to feel the temperature of our breathing The temperature of your breathing has always been there with you, just waiting for you to notice it during the best times and the worst times. If you can feel your feet and your hands and the aliveness there, you can rest your, your attention there and be reassured that if there's no trauma there, if there's no feeling of betrayal or suffering in your hands or feet, then maybe you yourself are not this trauma. You are not this suffering. Maybe you are the vibrantly alive peace in which this suffering is happening. You can go back to the core of your trauma just to check to see if there's a difference between how you feel when you're focusing on the core of your trauma, it's often in the torso, in the neck, maybe a bit in the head. That energy under pressure, is it dissipating at all? You can just rest your attention there for a few seconds. And it's safe doing so. And then you can return to the greater safety of the feeling of a full breath. And the feeling of the external parts of your body, the extremities, your arms, your legs, hands and feet. 
this part of you is just as significant and alive as any other part of you. You are in that space as much as anywhere else. And for those of you whose trauma feels too overwhelming, you might notice now that there has been some tension build up in the body again. It's almost inevitable. This resistance to the present moment is what our suffering is. Resistance to the present moment. Resistance to the peace that we are in our essence. So we unclench any muscles that have become tense from our efforts of doing this technique correctly or from the discomfort and overwhelming trauma in the core of our body, often in the torso. If you can let yourself breathe even more deeply and unclench the diaphragm area, because often that area is where we hold a lot of our trauma and resistance to feeling even more trauma because we're scared it will overwhelm us. Can you breathe more deeply to have your solar plexus diaphragm area expand and rise as well as your abdomen? Allowing that area to loosen up a bit. Allow the love, the heart energy, the air flow and expand your entire torso. And if you can feel the aliveness in your body and some spacious stillness around the discomfort in the body, the energy under pressure, the emotion. Can you allow yourself to relax more deeply and sink into the chair or mattress or floor you are resting upon, completely physically surrendering to the space you are in? Physical relaxation is a way of saying yes to this moment, yes to your body, yes to the place you're in, the physical place you are in right now. And in an an extended meditation, we could rest in this feeling and periodically go back to the core of our trauma back and forth, slowly, gradually, gently, to the, then turning our attention to the peripheries of our body, back and forth, until we feel safe and comfortable enough to rest our attention anywhere in the body. And notice the stillness around you, even if there's activity and noise. Notice the peaceful stillness within you. It may be vibrantly alive, but it's also paradoxically very still at the same time. This peace-filled awareness is who you really are. Vibrant, alive, authentically passionate and loving and real behind the stories and the traumas of who we think we are.
It is something that we, many of us, physically knew when we were three, four, or five years old. We were simply alive with no story of me. Virtually no story of me, and yet we were alive and in this world, and we sensed who we were. A large measure of spiritual awakening is returning to that beautiful childlike state of innocence. That storyless sense of me. But now with the full benefit of being a wiser, experienced adult in the world. And you can return to being a child once again with the way you play with roles. When you're a kid, you're a princess or a dinosaur or a policeman or an explorer. And then you drop that role and you're just me again. But that me has no history that it's attached to. Has no capacity for holding long-term grudges or resentments about things that have happened. Simply that little child often is able to return to the now, the here and now, and just play and explore with wonder. We can do that again when we awaken to our true nature. And all of the roles we play, we'll consciously choose them. They will no longer overwhelm us and control us and dominate us and terrify us because we will know they are just roles. They can put on this hat and then put on that hat and enjoy the show, enjoy the play of life, but frequently, as often as possible, step out of your role and return to the here and now where the story ends and when the story ends, the trauma ends. Nice deep breath, everyone. Okay, well, that was brilliant. I think um, if we could just take that time to do that that we just did, I, I honestly believe that everybody would be able to get out of that energy and also the bigger part of that is to realize that whatever's going on around them, whatever hap whatever's happening that you think is so difficult and challenging and it's, it's just a small thing that, you know, your friends, those that love you, they would rather see you in a place of peace. It's, you know, we think that everybody's judging us and that we have to justify and do all these things to hold on that it doesn't, it's, it's not truth. I mean, it's just our perceptions of what we think is happening around us. And usually our perceptions are very inaccurate. <laughs> and I, I mean, I've had many, many, many examples of that inaccuracy that we are holding on to and it's not 
it's not even real. It's not what's really happening out there. And that nobody, nobody honestly did it to you. It's just that we think that that's what's happened. So if we can take those moments, and this was a brilliant exercise to, you know, to really let go. And we could see that it's, it's, it's not, it's not real. This anxiety, this, this trauma that we feel we are, we've experienced this um, anxiety, this betrayal, this, all the things that we can come up with, these identities and stories that they're not real. They're just, they're just things that happened and we chose to give them a lot more energy and a lot more detail and a lot more thought because that's what our mind likes to do. Um, and it has created this monster that's not real. Yes, absolutely. And the power of awakening, which is the key to pretty much every personal problem and global problem we have, is that we finally do see reality the way it really is. And we are no longer stumbling over our own misperceptions of reality, our assumptions about how other people are perceiving us or, or the things that we assume that they're doing. And it's a lot less personal um, when you know you are the essence of all things, and at the essence of that is peace, it is less personal. And to some of us that feels, well, impersonal means not intimate and, and alive, but that's not true. You will feel more passionately alive, more intimate with life uh, than ever before. And you will realize that what they, whoever they are, and what they have done to you, they did not know what they were doing when they hurt you. They were also, just like the rest of us, um, under the spell of unconsciousness, meaning being asleep to our true nature of peace, compassion, love, joy. So what else could they possibly do? They could have done a, a variety of things that were just as painful or maybe a little less painful or, or a little more ignorant, a little less ignorant, but in the end, this egoic condition condemns us to not being aware of what we're doing and we're like programmed robots and we're hurting each other and we're not actually really seeing and understanding each other. And this is uh, one of the big reasons uh, you know, there's so much suffering in the world. And we're all suffering from this case of mistaken identity, this incessant voice in the head with which we identify. It prevents us from experiencing our deepest essence, which is peace. And the whole planet suffers from this case of mistaken identity. And so we're also caught up in our roles that we're all hurting each other. And when you know, when you begin to do these exercises, and reduce the stickiness, reduce the attachment to your own story, you will have more compassion, more forgiveness for everyone else, realizing, my God, if it's this bad for me, and I'm at least partially aware of what's going on, they are completely asleep and unaware of what they're doing. Just It's like they're on autopilot, just playing their role so fully and so deeply. I, it's in my interest to forgive them, or just at least understand, give them, you know, cut them some slack. They could barely help what they were doing, because they're so trapped in their role. And they have no idea that there's a voice in the head that's pretending to be who they are. And foisting upon them this role that they play so deeply, they're completely lost in it. And I'll say for myself that, um, and we can get into this another time, but the reason we, you know, what are you all? Well, my name is Chris, and I can say I'm a writer, I'm a teacher, I'm a human. But to me, they don't feel 
I'm not attached to those words, to those labels. I don't feel like that's who I am. I don't. I wouldn't put a capital letter on Chris or writer or teacher. It feels like all lowercase letters. It's just as valid to say that I'm a breather to me. What do you do? Well, I breathe. <laughs> that's the way it feels when you awaken. Uh, you, you're not so attached that you know that, that you know I'm a I'm a mother. I'm a healer. I'm a woman. I'm a man. I'm uh, I'm a this kind of person or that kind of person. The, and, and you know, or you're thumping your, your 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 chest with your fingers. What about me and my life and my rights and, and needs and desires? What about me, world? That goes. It's gone. It's basically living with life as life as if life has no center. There's no sense of that kind of me anymore. But I would still respond to everything because everyone else around me still has this story of Chris and these roles. So I consciously choose to enter and play those roles. And, and then immediately step out and in and out. And it's a very mild stepping into the role. I don't get uh, so lost in it. But I'm not attached to any uh, of these roles. And really, it's a silly thing. If you, you know, open and close doors or, or breathe you know, or tie your shoes as much as anything else all day, well, why don't we identify with that? I'm a texter. We do that as much as you know, going to work or maybe even you know, driving the car or, or I'm I, or, why not? Why does it have to be these other socially designated roles? These other nondescript roles are just as significant in our lives, but we conveniently choose not to um, select those as how we identify ourselves because they're not interesting and important or um, something we can hide behind and put a face out to the world. But those roles are just as significant as things we do every day. But in the end, if you can feel as much attachment to the phrase, I am a breather, as opposed to your name, of, I am Joe, I am Margaret. If you could physically go into your body and physically feel that your attachment to I am a breather or I am is as strong or as, as weak as your name, then you're getting somewhere. Then you're beginning to lose the stickiness to your attachment. You can still say your name and everyone knows who you are and and that's fine, but you will not feel so attached to it. And when you are not so attached, it means you're not so lost in the movie of your life. And then you're much less prone to being traumatized when things go wrong. Much less prone to feeling violated when you realize that you can rest in the awareness, the spacious, peaceful awareness around these stories of me and these stories of how life should be, as opposed to how life is this moment right now. That's perfect. Christopher, thank you so much. Uh, we will be back again next month. We're going to do this as a monthly show now, so uh, stay tuned. Um, you have been listening to News for the Heart, and we've been getting to the heart of what matters, talking about our stories. Again, thank you very much, Christopher. It is my great pleasure, Lori, and thank you to everyone listening today. Take care, everybody. Have a question for Lori and want to be on the next News from the Heart show? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. News from the Heart is brought to you by Intuitive Soul and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org. 